Today, we are starting a new series. Uh, how many of you have seen what the title of the series is on Facebook or Instagram, and you're like, oh boy, this is going to be good, okay? All right, I think I already said it too. The title of the series is Offended. It is Offended, all right? And, and the reason that we want to talk about this is because I think, well, there's many, many reasons, but let me get to the verse first that I kind of got this from it's Luke 17.1. If you want to turn there in your Bible, you might have a different translation as well. But there's some translations that I like that's, that it says things a little bit differently. But uh, it says, it is impossible that no offenses should come. Luke 17.1. It is impossible that no offenses should come. Now, in a different translation, that might, it might say stumbling block for you and yours. It might say temptation to sin and yours. It could say lots of different things, but I really like this version. It says, it's impossible that no offenses should come. Offense, right? We've all been there. We have all been offended at some point. Maybe the time that your, your boss joked about that proposal that you had at work that you brought, and it was just like, oh, man, this is not, uh, this is not good at all. Or somebody, he just was like, oh, you need to re- revise this, revise this, like right in front of all your other coworkers or something. It just like embarrassed you. Or the time that your in-laws commented on your parenting efforts of your son or your daughter, and maybe they're, they're commenting on the food that you're giving them or the way that you're talking to them, and you're just like, mm-hmm, yeah, that's great. Thank you so much for that advice that I did not ask for, you know? You know what I'm talking about. It could have been maybe a little bit more real, maybe a little bit more for real right now. You could have disagreed with somebody about the COVID vaccine, about masks, right, or about COVID in general, okay? There are so many ways that we can disagree or be offended at people or, or take offense, and, and that's really what it is at the end of the day, right, is we're taking offense. It, why do people say that? Are you taking offense? We take offense because it's a verb. It is an action, right? Offense is something that happens to you, right? But being offended is something that we choose to do, amen? Being offended is a choice that we make. And some people have a problem with living a lifestyle of offense, living a lifestyle of being offended. And so really the question we're asking today is to take or not to take, that is the question, okay? To take offense or not to take offense, are we going to or are we not? And, and now I understand that there's some times where it would maybe make sense to take offense or, or not, or, or, but really at the end of the day is, are we going to live an offended lifestyle? Because here's the issue. I can probably guarantee you, you know what it is like when somebody has been offended at you and it does not feel good, right? Okay, maybe, maybe uh, they tell you like, oh, well, you said this and that offended me and you're just like, oh, like I, I didn't mean... I said, I didn't mean to offend you by that. It was maybe miscommunication or something. It could have been anything. I'm so sorry. I did not mean to offend you, but you know what it feels like maybe by something you didn't do that maybe you said you were going to do or just something you didn't do and they were expecting that thing of you and you didn't do it. And so now they're upset at you. They're like not talking to you. And you're like, well, what, why are you not talking to me? Like, what's going on? They're like, well, I'm upset at you. And I didn't mean to do anything. I'm so sorry. But you know what it feels like. So when somebody comes to you and says they were offended by you or when you're offended by somebody else, we all have been in both of those places. We've been in both of those sets of shoes. And so the series title is Offended, Living Free from the Trap of Offense. And we'll talk about why it's a trap in just a little bit, but it's going to be a three-week series. I want to kind of just introduce to you the three weeks. Uh, The title of the message today, if you are taking notes, and I would encourage you to take notes today because there's going to be some stuff that I think that you will need to revisit, okay? So take some notes. The title of the message today is Me Offended. 
That's literally the title of the message. Me, question mark, offended, question mark, okay? Because so many times I think that's the first step to to getting over a lifestyle of being offended is recognizing that you have the issue in the first place. But people that live offended, that have anger and resentment in their hearts, many times they don't realize that they're living that way. And so we need to get over the pride that might be in this room today, okay? And say, you know what? Maybe that is me. So we need to open our eyes and ears to see and hear maybe what God has to say to us today. But next week we're talking about something uh, that I know for a fact, even just on our team, on our rad team of the 60 volunteers that we have, I could probably tell you of at least 30 to 40 of them, I would say probably over half, have told me a story or have at least told me in general that they have been hurt by the church at some way, and in some way, at some point, at some time. Could have been by a pastor, could have been by the establishment of the church in general. A lot of people have lost trust uh, in the establishment of the local church. And now I don't think that many of us in this room maybe have that issue. Like I just said, I know a lot of you understand, you get it, you give even. And and that's like a great indicator on if you're really bought in and you understand you have a lot of spiritual maturity. Are you giving to the local church? Do you trust the local church? Okay. Uh, But there's a lot of people out there that don't. And there's a lot of people out there that, that during COVID, they use that as their, as their time to kind of skirt out of church and without being noticed. And the people weren't really following up with them because nobody was going to church, you know what I mean? And now that things are opening back up again, people just aren't going. Or, or maybe there was a church split, or maybe there was, you know, some pastor that said something to you that offended you, or people in the church that you just bounce from place to place because you're offended by something that somebody does, and you realize the church isn't perfect, and then you go somewhere else, and then you realize that church isn't perfect, so you go somewhere else, right? You know what I'm talking about. So that's what we're talking about next week, and I think that is going to be a very important message for many people to hear. So definitely invite people for that week. And then week three is all about honor. And Pastor Kevin Fouts, who is my pastor, okay, if you know the story of Radical, you know that me and my wife were in Oklahoma for five years. And that's where I got the word radical. I had only been there for about two years when I got that word for us to come down and plant the church. But uh, he is my pastor and he loves, loves, loves to preach about honor and to preach about offense. And he actually told me, he said, hey, just give me a topic and I'll preach on whatever you want. And as I was thinking about what I wanted to do for this month, this is something that had already been kind of welling up within me. Like, man, I feel like maybe we need to talk about this. I feel like this is something that needs to be addressed. Um, and, And so... He loves preaching about honor, and his favorite book is called The Bait of Satan by John Bevere. Has anybody read The Bait of Satan by John Bevere? Okay, so, all right, a few people in this room. If you have not, then you definitely need to get it and to read it, because most of what you're going to hear today, not most, but a lot of what you're going to hear today was kind of inspired by that. It is his favorite book, okay, and he gives it to just about everybody that comes into his office for marriage counseling, all right? If he has anyone come in, he's like, have you read The Bait of Satan? Here you go. Have you read The Bait of Satan? Here you go. He has like 40 of them on his bookshelf because it is really a bait of Satan. It's all about offense. So he's going to be talking about honor on Memorial Day weekend. You don't want to miss it. So that's the three weeks. The problem with the topic of offense is that usually you're not getting offended by people you don't really know, right? Who do you get most offended at? The people that are closest to you, right? Your family, your friends, Maybe if somebody outside of your family or a stranger says something to you, you can kind of brush it off. 
But if somebody that's closer to you says the exact same thing, it could sting a lot worse. It could hurt a lot worse. And there's a lot more chances for miscommunication among people that are actually very close to one another. We read in between the lines a lot because we think that we know them. We think we know the way that they talk and how they say things. And if they say something that's a little uncharacteristic of them, we maybe spin that thing and we're like, oh man, do they hate me? Like what's going on here? We don't even know. And so, uh, it's, it's much, much easier to get offended by somebody that is a family member or a friend. And David in the Bible seems to feel the same way. So we're going to look at Psalm 55, 12 through 14. It should be up on the screen for you. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed Sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked among the worshipers. Now, we don't know exactly who David is talking about here, but we do know that it was a close friend. And he's upset because he said, you know what? If an enemy insults me, okay, like I, I get that. That makes sense. I can brush that thing off. But, but man, we were close. We were tight. And now, now you've insulted me. And now this, this thing really, really hurts. And so we work with these people, right? We grow up with them. We probably go to church with them, okay? Some of y'all even sleep next to them, the people that you're offended at in your life. The closer the person, the larger the chance for the offense. And there's a reason why that divorce courts are the most heated, like if you've ever even seen, you know, like a Judge Judy sort of a thing, right? But for divorce, it is crazy, okay? Like it gets nuts. Some of the most heated, nasty, ugly, claws out battles happen in divorce courts. Why? Because they were supposed to be the ones that fought for me. You were supposed to fight for me. I was supposed to fight for you. And yet they just were divided, divided over offenses, uh, over offense after offense after offense. And there's a reason why some of the bloodiest wars in the history of the world were not between two differing nations, but they were actually civil. Because brother fighting against brother is way worse than a man fighting against a man from another nation. It's way, way more personal. And only those that are really closest to you can hurt you. Now, yes, of course, people can hurt you in all kinds of ways and they can say all different things. But when you're in close proximity with somebody, it's a lot easier to stab them in the back, right? <laughs> if you're far away from somebody, if I'm over here and my brother's right here, there's no way I can stab him in the back. But if I get right up next to him, right, and then I'm right with him and I'm walking with him, it's much easier to stab him in the back, or sock him upside the head, you know? It's a a lot easier. The reason is, don't get close. Don't get close. The reason why I wanted to do this series now, okay, and people might be wondering, like, why are we doing this now, okay? We've been in this thing for eight months now as a church, about eight months, and we've known each other for a while, okay? A lot of us are really starting to get to know each other pretty well. That's a great thing. I love that. When we first started the church, everybody was just like, they would come to church and they would leave. You know, like they wouldn't hang out. And a lot of that was because of COVID. I get, you know, it was, the numbers were really high when we first launched the church. And so people were just glad to be able to come at all. And so we would walk in, we would do our thing, and then we would leave. Like nobody was going to lunch after, no one was going over to people's houses. I get that. But, but it's been really fun over the last month or two, even on the last like three months, to see people, uh, I'll see on Instagram, somebody posting like, hey, went to lunch with so-and-so after church. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Awesome. I didn't even know that y'all were friends. Like, I didn't even know 
that you knew each other. That's really cool. Or, or I'm hanging out at somebody's house and they'll post it or they'll text me. Oh, I was hanging out with so-and-so the other day. I'm like, oh man, that's really cool. Even just seeing people talking after church, hanging out, mingling before church, even outside. I love seeing that because people are, are getting closer together. We call ourselves the rad fam, right? We want to be a family. That's a great thing. But what happens when you become family? You might start to see some things that you didn't realize before about these people, okay? Whereas maybe you just came in and you said, hey, God bless you, good morning, how's it going? Oh, great, you know, blessed and highly favored, you know? You just like walk in and you say, oh, you know, like, how's the fam? Great, oh, it's awesome, all right, you know? And then you leave and you never really talk to them aside from that, but then you really start to get to know them a little bit and maybe you take off the mask that you had over your face and you start to talk to them and you start to see some things that you did not know was there. Maybe you're getting, uh, I didn't know that you thought that way. I didn't know that you felt that way about this issue or about this thing, or, or I didn't know that you talked like that, or I didn't know that, that this is how you live, or that this is how blah, 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 or this is what you don't do, or, or it could be all kinds of different things, but as you get to know each other, you become family, and you start to show your real self a little bit more. You start to take off the mask, uh, the actual mask that maybe we're having on, on our face, but then also kind of the metaphorical mask, and you let your real self come out, and sometimes that could cause some room for some offenses to take place once we see who we are. And as we're becoming a family, I think it's important to address this because I don't want offense to creep into this rad family, okay? I don't want offense and living a life of offended uh, uh, just to creep in and to really pull us apart and to disunify us and to destroy our family. So by the end of the series, my goal is, is that I believe every person here will have the tools that you need within your family, within your relationships uh, outside of your family, with your friends, your coworkers, whatever it might be. And then also in our church family, you will have the tools you need to live free from offense. Sound good? Let's do it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this series that we're going to dive into. I pray that you would just help me to communicate uh, the words that you've given me uh, to the best of my ability, Lord. And I pray that you would open our eyes and ears today. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you're taking notes, the first one I want you to write down. First point is pride traps offense inside. Pride traps offense inside. It was just Mother's Day, all right? And if you were like me, or maybe you went even above and beyond, maybe you got some jewelry for your wife, uh, if she's a mom, or you got some uh, jewelry for yo mama, okay? Because obviously she gave birth to you, so hopefully you took care of her. I got some, I got some stuff for my mama. I did, I did. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, I got it on Saturday, but... <laughs> But I got it. All right. The outlet mall came through. So, but listen, maybe if you're like me, you got some jewelry. You got, you know, some jewelry for a person that was like a mom to you in your life. And uh, you could have got silver or gold. Now, my mom, she loves silver. She's all about silver. Everything in our house uh, growing up, and especially once we moved here to Plum Creek, Man, the whole house, if you've been there before, I think some of y'all have even been on the rad team, it is black, it is white, it is gray, it is silver, right? It's very monochromatic, and then she'll have like one little accent color a little bit here and there. So the whole house is monochromatic, and like the pillows, and like one other thing will be like yellow, okay? Just have one little accent color in there, but basically it's all silver, gray, black, white, very monochromatic. She loves silver jewelry, she always has. Uh, but Lindsay, on the other hand, complete opposite, okay? Lindsay is all about that gold. She is all about it. So she does like the mid-century modern kind of style and vibe. So it's a lot of like brown, you know, mid-century modern, cool, you know, 1970s looking stuff with some gold accents, maybe some like green or like greenery and all that. It looks real trendy, real cool, whatever, you know. So uh, she's a great decorator, but she loves gold. 
So I got my mom a silver necklace and I got Lindsay, not one, but two gold necklaces. One was obviously from Oakland. Okay. It had a little O for Oakland. So, um, so we got two of those for her. And if you know anything about the process for, for making a gold necklace, obviously it doesn't just happen. Okay. There's a very, very long process that goes into it. So when you get gold ore from deep down within the earth, you have to like explode that stuff out of the earth. You have to mine it out of the earth. However it is that they get it out, it doesn't start as just this pure gold. It's, it's called gold ore. And then what they do is they'll wash it off. They'll get some of like the initial impurities off, like sand and dirt and everything like that. And then they will pulverize it, okay, into this little fine powder. And then they wash it in some other ways. And then they put it into the furnace. And then it is liquefied at like 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's ridiculous how hot it has to be. And as this gold gets liquefied, what ends up happening? All the impurities that were inside of it will start to rise up to the top. It's refined by the fire. And then the refiner, the, the person who is basically in charge of, of purifying that gold will be able to skim off all of the impurities from the top of the gold. And I didn't know this. This is actually kind of interesting. Maybe some of you ladies out here knew this, but gold is one of the most malleable metals on the earth. One of the most malleable, one of the most flexible metals on the earth. You can pound a piece of gold so thin you can put a thousand sheets of gold at the thinnest level on top of each other, and it would be as thick as this piece of printer paper. Do you know that? That's incredible. A thousand sheets of gold at its finest is as thick as this one piece of printer paper. The problem with pure 24 karat gold, right, as we know it, that is pure gold, 24 carats, is that it can't actually, it can't hold any, uh, any diamonds. So this is, this is actually my grandfather's ring that, that I was given after he passed away, and I was able to, to get married with this ring. It's amazing. I love this ring. But the problem with it is, is I have five diamonds in it. I'm like, you know, like brass knuckles kind of, you know what I mean? So don't mess with me. So I got five diamonds in here, and it's a gold ring. But, but this is not pure gold. If it was pure gold, it would, it would be very flexible and it wouldn't be able to actually hold these diamonds that are set within it. So what they do is they, they produce what's called an alloy. And so most of the time when you get like a, an actual gold necklace or whatever uh, that's expensive, it'd be like 14 karat gold. That's kind of like the gold standard, <laughs> whatever. And then you have 10 karat gold, which is going to be way more affordable. But it, what is it? It's just mixed with another metal. It's mixed with something else. A lot of times silver that's going to make it more hard and sturdy. So if you want to get that gold back to its most pure state, what do you have to do? Well, you have to do the process again. You have to liquefy it back down, skim the stuff off the top so it can become flexible and malleable again. And so the question I want to ask you today is, is your heart like 24 karat gold? Is it flexible? Is it malleable? Can God move it around and, and turn it around and shape it in the way? Can, are you refined by the fire of God? Are you letting God move those impurities off of the top or is your heart like that 14 karat or 10 karat gold? Maybe that has some impurities within it. Maybe your heart is still like that gold ore that still has got all kinds of stuff all over it. You're harboring offense and your heart has now become hardened. Anytime you see a verse about silver or gold, there's even a song right now. It's called Refiner by Maverick City. I'd encourage you to go listen to it. It's a great song. It's all about this process it, that God is our refiner. 
God refines our hearts. There's verses over and over again about God purify my heart, cleanse my mind, right? And even talks about as gold and silver are refined and tested. Lord, would you do that with me? There's many verses you can look up, but what stops that process from happening in our lives? Let's say that there's this process of, of liquefying this gold and then, and then the refiner goes over and skims all the top off of it. What's the issue in our lives? If you, let's take it to the application side of it. No one really wants to have their heart liquefied. Why? Because that means that we're vulnerable. You put yourself into the fire, into that situation. You have to allow God to destroy everything and to bring everything back and bring it down to its most basic level purifying your heart so that he can take all those things off that don't belong in your heart? Are you harboring offense in your hearts? Pride will stop you from seeing the impurities that are within you. You can't see it though. That's the thing that's so difficult for us, right? Because I see this ring and I think, wow, it's a nice ring. You see the necklace that I got for Lindsay, right? It's like, oh, this is a nice necklace. It was like 40 bucks. So there's no way it's pure gold. You know what I'm saying? Like there ain't no way it is. All right. But it looks pretty. It looks nice. So we can't tell that eventually that thing is going to corrode. It's going to have some issues. Eventually it's going to rust because it is not purified. It could be 5, 10, 15. It could be 100. It could be 1,000 years from now. But eventually that thing is going to rust. Is your heart 24 karat gold? Chances are you probably have some offenses that are hidden inside of you, right? Some, some things that you're harboring against other people, some grudges maybe that you're holding or just living a general lifestyle of offense. And maybe your heart will eventually be corroded, tarnished, and rusty. So in order to purify our hearts, the first thing that we have to do is to lay down our pride. That's why the title of the message today is Me Offended. Because if you don't get past this part first, the next part of this message and the next two weeks will do absolutely nothing for you. It will do nothing for you because your heart will still be hardened. So today what it's all about is allowing ourselves to have our hearts be refined by the fire of God. Let's let our guard down, drop that pride because pride will trap the offense inside. So lay down that pride, allow God to sift through your heart today. So this begs us to ask this question of ourselves, am I easily offended? Am I a person that gets offended easily? Now, you might have somebody that's nudging you in the side right now. Like, yes, this is you, you know what I mean? So, but don't, don't sell them out just yet. Don't sell them out, okay? We'll get there in just a minute, all right? But am I someone who allows offenses to build up within me? Have I let myself become someone with a hardened heart toward others? Easily offended, filled with anger, maybe filled with resentment. Is that you? I want you to, to take a look at yourself today and maybe you might just be surprised at how many of you might see some of that within you. So second point today, it's not commendable to be offendable. <laughs> if you're writing notes down, that's a good one to write down. It's not commendable to be offendable. I mean, there's some things that make sense to be upset about, okay? And I wanna just say that right off the bat at the beginning of this series. We're not talking about like if your spouse cheats on you, okay, or if there's abuse or, or if someone, you know, stabs you in the back, like figuratively or literally, okay? Like there are some things that you could actually be upset about, but we're not really talking about those things today. I'm talking about more of the everyday things that we let get under our skin that kind of don't really matter at the end of the day, 
But those things, if you let all of them compile on each other, those little tiny offenses, maybe what someone says, uh, I mean, it's like a little subtweet kind of a thing at you, if you know what that means. A little thing that's like passive aggressive or, or something that maybe somebody didn't even really mean against you, but, but you let it get to you anyway, right? Because you're maybe easily offendable. You let those things build up and it could turn into a big problem in your relationships. So we're going to play a game today. You guys want to play a game? It's called You Might Be Offendable. Ooh. You might be offendable if. Do you explode in fits of anger over little things? You might be offendable. Do others say that you make mountains out of molehills? You might be offendable. Do you frequently take things the wrong way? You might be offendable. Do others feel that they have to walk on eggshells around you? You might be offendable. Do others consider you high maintenance? You might be offendable, okay? Now, this is the point where now you nudge them aside, okay? All right, listen, I'm just going to be honest with you, all right? Maybe somebody's like looking at you right now. You can feel them kind of like doing this action. You're like, stop. You're like, I know you're looking at me right now. Okay, listen, here's the deal. Don't be offended at that. <laughs> because if you're offended, then this is probably for you, okay? Let me give you some practical examples of what this might look like in everyday life. Let's say you cook dinner for the whole family. You got the whole family over. The, you know, the, the in-laws are there. Your parents are there. You got the aunts, uncles, the cousins. You got everybody. And you're making dinner for the whole family. You work really, really hard on this dinner. And then uh, your mother-in-law, as you sit down to eat, and she gets her plate. Everybody gets her plate. And we've prayed. We're just like, thank you, Jesus, for this food. And the first thing your mother-in-law does afterwards, she says, can you pass the salt, please? What's the first thought that comes into your head? Is it oh, my mother-in-law likes a lot of salt. Like, all right, whatever, no big deal. Or is your first thought, well, I thought that my cooking was perfect. Apparently she thinks that I'm terrible. See, if I ever cook Thanksgiving dinner for her again, you might be offendable. If someone doesn't call you or text you on an important day in your life, maybe your birthday or Christmas or whatever it might be, is the first thought that you have, well, maybe they're with family or Maybe they're busy, maybe they're working, or, or maybe they just forgot, maybe they, you know, birthdays or holidays or whatever, it's not really like a big deal to them. Or is your first thought, they don't value our friendship and I hate them now, right? <laughs> is that your first thought? You might be offendable, okay? Maybe you find out about plans changing at work, something that, that, that you guys had planned on with your coworkers, or you find out that a plan has changed uh, from a coworker, and he said, hey, uh, you know, boss said, hey, this is changing now, we're gonna be doing this. And is your first thought, Man, well, okay, that makes sense. All right, I guess let's just go ahead and do this. Let's change the plans. Let's do whatever the boss says. All right, sounds good. Or is your first thought, well, why wasn't I told about this? Like, like, did he, you know, he went to him first. He didn't go to me. Like, why was I not the first one to be consulted? I feel like I should have been involved in this process. Like, he's on the same level as I am. Like, what's going on? You might be offendable, right? These are some practical examples, and there's many, many, many examples, like countless, endless examples of people being offended at little, tiny things. People get offended all the time about COVID, right? About masks, about vaccines. I mean, let's go there for a second, okay? This isn't in my notes, but we're going to head there for a minute, okay, people? Let's go. So we're going to take a trip through offense today. 
People are offended so, so much in our society today. Honestly, it's exhausting. It is exhausting how much people are offended, especially on social media, guys. It gets real bad on Facebook. Twitter is like a cesspool of offense, okay? Don't ever get on Twitter if you can handle it because people are just like ravaging each other on, on these tweets and subtweeting at each other. Not even subtweeting, just straight up, just like, you suck and you're terrible. You know what I mean? It's like horrible, horrible things that people say to one another, but yet... They're not the most offendable people I think that we have in society. You know who I think sometimes are the most offendable people? Church people. Church people, Christians, can be some of the most offendable people in the world. Well, they took my seat. How dare they? I sit here every single Sunday, and they know that I sit there. How dare they sit in my seat? I sit right here on the left side, right in the middle, every single Sunday, and this person knows. They come, they've come at least... Four times now. They should know by now. <laughs> the first time guest walks in, sits in your seat, you're all up in arms about it. It's like, oh my goodness, come on. They didn't play the song I liked. I don't like that acoustic stuff. That's weird. They need to have the whole band. I don't like that. Nope, mm -mm, nope. The whole little weird drum thing over here? Nope, don't like it. Not for me. <laughs> Bring the whole kit back or it's not happening. The other people are like, oh man, this is so much better than that loud stuff we have every Sunday. Goodness gracious. Can we do this more often? People are offended by that kind of stuff. If you're in the South in December and you walk into a store and an employee says, hey, happy holidays. You might as well just declared war on Jesus and heaven, <laughs> the kingdom of God and all of it, you know, because we are in the South and we don't take Christ out of Christmas, people. Oh my goodness. People get offended. Right after church today, some people might go out to lunch and you might not get invited. Oh no, what am I gonna do? You might get offended by that. See if I invite them to my birthday party three weeks from now, uh-uh. I'm unsending that Evite, it is coming back. Pastor Trevor's doing a series about offense. I know he's talking about me, how dare him? How dare him do this? And listen, if you had that thought at any point today already, and you, because you're like, Pastor Trevor's doing a series on offense and you think that I'm subtweeting at you, listen, I am. <laughs> <laughs> I am talking to you and you should stop being offended <laughs> Luke 17 1 again I'll read it it's impossible that no offenses should come it's impossible let's break this down a little bit the Greek word for offenses is a word called scandalon this word is is actually a, from a root of a different word but if you take a, a, a trap and you have a mouse trap let's say all right, how many of you have set up a mouse trap before in your house to get rid of some mice? Okay, like many of us have done this. This is a normal thing, maybe. Uh, I lived in a duplex with Lindsay for a while when we first got married up in Oklahoma. It was built in like the 70s, very old. We had mice. It was not that great. And so uh, I had to set up many, many mouse traps. You know those standard little ones, like the, the ones you pull the little thing back and you have the little, like, the little cheese looking thing, but you put some like peanut butter or some cheese or whatever it is that you put on there to try to trap the mouse, okay? And so literally what this word means at the root, if you go look at it, you pull that first little thing back and then you have that little, the little bar that you have to put underneath it that kind of holds it together. That little bar right there is what this word means. That little bar right there. And it could be uh, on a bigger scale. It could be to trap a bear. It could be to trap any kind of animal, but that is what it is. It's the part of a trap that the bait was attached to. And so offense really at the core of it is literally a trap of Satan. 
It's a trap that Satan uses to get us, and many times we don't even realize it's there. Why? Because usually traps are not out in the open. Where are traps? They're hidden. They're hidden under leaves, or they're hidden in a corner. They're hidden with a little piece of bait on it. And this is what Satan does, is he uses offenses to trap us. And many times, you won't even realize that you're in that trap. Paul's talking to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, 23 through 24. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. He just comes right out and says it, all right? Because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Must not be quarrelsome, able to be taught pride, drop it, so we can be taught, not resentful, not holding on to things, right? Don't have anything to do with these stupid arguments. What is he saying? Just, just don't mess with it because you know these little tiny arguments? He, he distinguishes them. Foolish and stupid arguments happen here. And then many times they escalate into what he would call a quarrel. And a quarrel is just like, okay, this is like a real big problem we have here. So don't have anything to do with these little tiny things that mess with us in day in and day out. Because many times they will escalate into something much, much bigger. He goes on. 2 Timothy 2, 25 through 26 now. It's a couple of verses later. Opponents, people against each other, must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance leading them to a knowledge of the truth. Now, I don't know if you could necessarily say that I'm gently instructing you today, but you know, like, you know, I'm trying my best, all right? And they will come to their senses, hopefully, right? And escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. And here is where it once again is basically saying offenses and these quarrels and these stupid arguments that we have with one another are literally a trap and Satan is taking them captive to do his will. They are trapped by Satan. Are you trapped by Satan in your offenses? All offended people fall into one of two categories. People that were actually treated unjustly and people who believe that they were treated unjustly. Maybe you were or maybe you weren't. But at the end of the day, the Bible makes no distinction. It says, just because you are mistreated, it does not mean you have permission to hold on to an offense forever. I understand there's some things that we go through, some real bad things that happen to us. And listen, I'm not saying, I'm not downplaying those things at all. What I'm saying is, is are you holding on to that thing a lot longer than you should have? Are you not allowing forgiveness to come out of your heart because you're holding on to anger and resentment and living a lifestyle of being offended at this person maybe who hurt you? But honestly, more often than not, it's not something really huge that's happening, okay? It's these little tiny things. It's like, why are you holding on to this stuff? Don't be involved in these stupid little arguments because this is a trap of Satan. The issue with church people, okay, I'm just, I'm kind of going after it a little bit today. I hope that's all right, guys. So, um, <clears throat> Offended church people can always find scripture to back up their position. Always. You can always take a scripture out of context to back up a position for anything, for literally anything. Um, here's an example. You know, you might, you might be saying something like, you know, this person did something against me, or maybe it could have been something really, really bad, and you're praying like, Lord, smite them in the name of Jesus. You know, like, like he, in the Old Testament, he would have already gone after him, like fire from heaven would have came down and consumed this guy already by now. You know, if this is Old Testament, like, come on, God, like, would you do something like that? Deuteronomy 32, 35, you might find this verse, you say, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. I'm going to try to do like Liam Neeson or something like that. <laughs> in due time, their foot will slip. 
their day of disaster is near and their doom rushes upon them. And you're like, praise Jesus. Yes, Lord. I just ask right now for Mike in the name of Jesus, you would just have his doom rush upon him. And then, you know, like, no, maybe Psalm 143, 12. In your unfailing love, silence my enemies. In this verse, in different translations, you might read it, it, it translates, kill my enemies. Destroy all my foes, for I am your servant. You might be praying that. Lord, I am your servant. I love you, God. Would you destroy Mike? <laughs> you know, <laughs> These are some things that you subconsciously, okay, maybe we're not like overtly saying these kinds of things or overtly thinking these kinds of things, but you know, if you really take that pride down and examine your heart and liquefy that thing a little bit, some of that stuff will start to come to the surface and you'll realize that those thoughts are inside of your heart. Those thoughts are in there. In Romans 12, 19, he takes that verse from Deuteronomy. This is Paul now. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. It's, it's to God talking. I will repay, says the Lord. What is he saying? It's not our job to take revenge. It's not our job to point out everything that people do wrong against us. Leave it to God. Leave it to God and leave room for his wrath. If it is something that somebody's done wrong to you, listen, leave it up to God. He will avenge you in his time if he feels like it, okay? Um, I will repay, says the Lord. The issue is, is that the knowledge of God's word without love causes division. Many of us will know what the Bible says, and we know a verse, and we can cherry pick a verse out of context, but if you know that verse, that's fine. But, but if you don't have love within you, it's very easy for those things to cause division. It'll puff you up with pride and legalism instead of living out of a place of love. We become self-centered and can fall into this trap of offense. So 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 3 says, we know that we all possess knowledge, right? We all, we all know a little bit about the Bible here and there, you know what I'm saying, all right? But knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. If you think that you know what's up, you don't. It's basically what this verse is saying. If you think that you, uh, you are never in the wrong or you think that people are mistreating you all the time and you, you are living a life of offense, maybe you might be one of these people. You think that you know how people should talk. I know how people should talk. This is the right way to talk. This is the right way to think about COVID. And everyone, anyone else is wrong. And if you tell me that, that, that I'm wrong, I'm offended, right? That's how a lot of people live. If you think that you know something, maybe chances are you don't, okay? So be humble and don't let that pride well up within you. Whoever loves God is known by God. Listen, what, what David is saying when he's running away from these people that are trying to kill him, okay, that's a pretty big offense, okay? And he's praying against these people saying, God, you're going to have to show up or else I'm actually going to die, all right? Most of us are not dealing with that on a regular basis. What are we dealing with? These little tiny things every day, those little comments that get under your skin, those little issues that just build up over time and we harbor that resentment with one another, those things that we have every single day. Here's an example of, of a cherry-picked verse that might be offending somebody here in, in the place today, all right? I have been wearing this hat the entire service so far, okay? Now, it is a radical church hat, so I think I have a little, bit of, a little bit of grace there from the Lord that it is a radical church hat. But there's a verse in 1 Corinthians that talks about you should not have a, a covering on your head. Men should not have coverings on their head when they are in the church, right? And you could cherry pick that verse, but if you don't actually understand what it means, 
You would think that what I'm doing right now is a sin and you probably haven't been listening to me at all. There's no way that I could be listening to you right now because I'm offended that you're wearing a hat right now. So like this whole thing is, is just like completely awash because he's Pastor Trevor up there sinning with the hat on, right? What that verse actually means is it's talking about a cultural difference between hair length. That's all it's talking about. It's very a cultural thing, literally does not even apply at all in the context that we have our church today. The reason is, is because back in the day in the Corinthian church, if you had long hair as a man, it was like an abomination. It was like the worst possible thing in the world. It was a cultural reference that Paul was speaking to at that time in history. It does not apply to us today. But listen, people will get offended at that kind of stuff. And I understand there's some like, you know, levels of respect or whatever, like just that, that, that people will have for when you walk into a building or something, you take off a hat, you see the Pledge of Allegiance, you take off a hat, just some cultural things like that, I understand. But at the end of the day, does it really matter? Does it really matter? And yet there are people with little things like this. It'll just completely, you just are offended. You won't listen to anything else I have to say. I'm sorry, I, I'm just, I'm kind of com, coming after people today, but I hope that this is okay. You might, some of y'all about to send this to like, <laughs> y'all gonna get home, we're gonna put it on YouTube and you're gonna be like, when is that link coming out? Cause I have a few people I need to send this to. <laughs> the last point today, conflict resolution, God's solution. God's solution. If you haven't noticed yet, all the points rhyme. It's cause I'm a worship leader and a pastor, come on. Matthew 18, 15 through 17. If another believer sins against you, this, this is God's solution, right? Go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. That's a good thing. If you're unsuccessful, take one or two others with you. Go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or corrupt tax collector. Basically, just don't even associate with them anymore because obviously their heart is hardened to a point where they are just not gonna listen. Even if there's an issue, an actual issue or not, like I just can't even listen to them anymore, okay? Here's the deal. Offense should be handled in a biblical way. This is the biblical model for handling offense. And I've seen this time and time again. Somebody will come and they'll say, you know, maybe to me or to my pastor, especially the last five or six years, I saw this, oh, so many times. If you have a problem with somebody and then you come to me and you tell me about it, the first question out of my mouth is gonna be, have you talked to them about it? And if you say no, I don't care. Go talk to them. And, if, and then you go talk to them. And then after that, if they don't listen, they'll come back and be like, Pastor Trevor, they didn't listen to me. They didn't listen. They didn't, they didn't, they, I'm still offended. I'm still upset by this thing that they did or they said or whatever. Okay, listen, have you taken somebody else to kind of talk to them? Have a friend intervention kind of a thing, you know, like, like do one of those, all right? And have one of those things first. And then if that doesn't work, okay, now come talk to me. But until then, I don't want to hear it. Because if you're just going around telling the leadership or telling somebody gossiping about what so-and-so did, you haven't even given them the chance to maybe tell their side of the story, to clear up a miscommunication, which is most of the time what the issue is. Right. If you haven't given a chance for them to, to, to ask for forgiveness even before you go and start spreading stuff all over the place, now what is that going to do? You're getting involved in a foolish and stupid argument that will turn into a quarrel. And now that's getting into a place where we don't want to be and you're not handling it in a biblical way. But here's, here's the deal. What if I told you that there is actually a better way to handle offense and to handle stuff like this than this biblical model that I just gave you? There's a better way than this biblical model. Now, before you're offended at me and think I'm a heretic, it's another biblical model. 
It's another thing that actually should happen before even this process starts. The issue is, is that most people think of this and they're like, okay, I'm having a problem with so-and-so. What does the Bible say about it? And they go and look up this conflict resolution thing that everybody knows how to do. Like you go to the brother and then you go take somebody else and then you go to the church and they think that they're doing a great job. And for the most part, yes, I would say that is a good thing, but God gives an even better way to handle it than that. He gives a solution that should be our immediate response to offense that's welling up within us. You want to know what it is? Get over it. I kid you not. Get over it. It's literally biblical. And let me show you how, okay? Proverbs 17, 9. You will keep your friends if you forgive them. You will lose your friends if you keep talking about what they did wrong. If somebody does something wrong to you and you just can't forget it and you just had that thing welling up in you and all the time, let's say in your relationships, come on with your spouse, how many times have you done this? I'm keeping score, I'm keeping record. I remember what you did two weeks ago and I'm not gonna let you forget it. Even though you've apologized five or six times and you're trying to do better, it doesn't matter because you still did it three weeks ago. Is that how Jesus treats us? I sure hope that he doesn't. Because if he treats us like that, then that's really not going to be good for us. Pettiness will rob you of your happiness and will destroy your relationships and your friendships. Satan wants you to hold on to the offense. He wants you to take the bait so that your relationships will suffer and division will take root. The enemy, what does he come to do? Three things. Steal, kill, and destroy. And he uses offense to drive a wedge between brothers and sisters, husbands and wives, friends, coworkers, people in the church, doesn't matter. Here's a couple other verses for you. A fool is quick-tempered, but a wise person stays calm when insulted. Do you stay calm when you're insulted or is your first response to lash out at somebody? I had a buddy, he's a pastor. This is a great story. I'm not gonna name him because <laughs> that would be hilarious, but... This one dude, like, you know, he flipped him off or something when he was driving. And, and my buddy, he gets, he gets pretty heated pretty quickly sometimes, all right? And, and this dude's a pastor, mind you, okay? So, like, we're all able to, to fall short in this area, all right? So he drives behind this guy angrily, tailgates him all the way to his house, gets out after this dude had, like, flipped him off. And he, like, had, they were kind of having some, you know, words out the window kind of a thing all the way to this dude's house, right? And so he gets out of the car and, like, bows up to the dude. And then I think it was at that moment that he realized, he's like, what, what am I doing here? <laughs> like, I'm a pastor. Like, what am I doing? This is crazy, you know? He's, like, bowing up to the guy, you know? And it's like, that's not even a big deal. Like, he just flipped you off. Like, just move on. Like, just get over it. Like, who really cares? And he realized, he's like, what am I doing? Like, this is stupid, you know? And he got his truck and left. But he told me that story, and I was just like, oh, my gosh, man. Like, what in the world? And he knows that sometimes he can be like that. And he had a little quick temper sometimes. If somebody says something, he just gets under his skin, and he might let it fester a little bit. Uh, but, but he knows that about himself. Here's another message, or another one from Proverbs. Proverbs 19, 11. And this is the really, really good one. If you want to learn how to, to get over something, check this one out. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is in his glory to overlook an offense. It is in your glory to get over it, right? I'm not saying necessarily, I'm, once again, I want to remind you, I'm not talking about something super big or like when somebody does something really, really bad to you, okay, but even in that sense, you still can do this. You still could apply this. It takes a lot of faith to apply this when somebody cheats on you 
takes a lot of faith. But really what I'm talking about is those everyday things, those little things that get under your skin, maybe that somebody does, all right? It's in your glory to overlook an offense. Just don't worry about it. Let it go because if you harp on it, you're going to lose your friends and your relationship with your spouse, with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, whatever it might be with your kids is not gonna be as great as it can be because if you're constantly pointing out the things that other people are doing wrong, listen, nobody likes to to have that person in their life. No one likes to hear all the time what you think that they're doing wrong, okay? To be honest, I'm one of those people. I constantly am just like, well, I feel like this is wrong. I feel like this is wrong. This should be done this way. This should be fixed this way. Like, why are you not doing like this? Why are you not thinking of it like this? I am definitely one of those people that feels the need to correct other people, right? But then once again, I think we talked about this in the relationship series. Sometimes you have to reserve the right to be right in order to preserve the relationship, okay? That is a very, very important thing that we need to learn. It goes right along with offense. So you wanna be happy. You wanna have better relationships. Make it harder to be offended. Make it much harder to be offended. 1 Corinthians 13, 5. Love does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered and it keeps no record of wrongs. It keeps no record of wrongs. Everybody stand in this place today. We keep records all the time with one another. You know, there's one person that I feel like could have been offended pretty easily by a lot of things that happened to him. There's one guy that I know that never did anything wrong in his whole life, actually was trying to help people and had these great friends with him, hung out with him for about three and a half years, walked around everywhere with him, saw some amazing things happen and they were his closest confidants. And then he ends up getting persecuted and ends up getting crucified on a cross. And you know where all of his friends were? Abandoned him. All of them, except for John, who kind of closely followed behind him. That was it. Every single one of the people that were closest to Jesus abandoned him in his final hours. You know, Jesus could have been really offended by that, right? I have done everything for you guys. I have given everything I am. God in the flesh. I am here. And yet all of you are abandoning me. What are all the things that I taught you? All the stuff that we did together, all the things that you've seen, and yet you're going to leave, you're going to run away from me in my, in my darkest hour? Jesus could have been offended. Jesus could have been offended at, at the, the people that were crucifying him, the people that were chanting for his name to, to be crucified and for Barabbas to be set free. He could have been offended at all those people. What about at the Roman soldiers who beat him and whipped him and put a crown of thorns on his head, nailed him to the cross, put a, put a, 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 a thing in his side, He could have been offended at those people, but you know what Jesus did at the very end? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus got over it. Jesus got over all of it. You know, in fact, Jesus took on all of our sin, right? The Bible says. All the sins that you and I have ever committed, Jesus had all those put onto his shoulders and and he ended up having to be separated from his father and he felt alone in that moment. It was a difficult thing for him, yet he wasn't offended. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And he gave his life for you and for me. You know that our sin in the Bible, it says it is offensive to God. Our sin is, is offensive to God. It, it's ugly. It's, it's nasty. It's not a good thing. The Bible says we're supposed to flee away from sin. Get away from it at all costs and be holy as I am holy is what the Bible says. 
God can't be in communion with, with sin. And, and so we had that separation from God. And so he sent his son Jesus to die in our place where we deserve death. Jesus did it for us. He could have been offended at you, but he's not. He's not offended at you. He loves you because that's what love does. It does not harbor offense. It does not dishonor others. It keeps no record of wrongs. It is not easily angered. Jesus wasn't quick-tempered, but he stayed calm when he was insulted. He, he had good sense enough to be slow to anger, and, and he, he had, in his glory, he overlooked the offenses that were put against him. Jesus, after he rose back from the dead, you know what he could have done? Man, all you guys left me. How dare you? All you guys, did he say, do you see any of that? No. Mm -mm. You'll keep your friends if you forgive them. Peter denied him three times. But you'll lose your friends if you keep talking about what they did wrong. I know this has been kind of a long message today. And the reason is, is because there was a lot of content and there's a lot that I wanted to, to get to you today because I feel like it's so important. But I just wanted to pray with you that we would be able to let go of those offenses that we hold within us. Maybe you might, over the course of this message, you have dropped those walls of pride in your life to see maybe, maybe I am somebody that is offended easily and I need to stop doing that. Or maybe I'm harboring some unforgiveness against somebody in my life. Maybe somebody that really did hurt you, but maybe you still need to, to let that thing go. I say get over it and it's a little, it's punchy and it kind of hurts a little bit, but but really, maybe there's some things that we do need to let go. There's some things that we do need to get over so we can move on, move on in our lives and be free and be happy and have joy filling up within us. Allow our hearts to be malleable and molded by Jesus, right? And not hardened by our offenses. So if that's you today, I just encourage you within your own heart, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand or anything. I just would encourage you to, to let that thing go today. All right, we're gonna pray right now for you. So I want everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes. Lord Jesus, right now, I just ask that if there's somebody in here that's harboring offense, somebody that, that feels like their heart is hard, maybe they're dealing with anger issues. They've had anger in them their whole life or they had a situation that happened to them that made them angry and, and they've never been able to get over it. God, if there's somebody in here today that is living a life of of offense. They're just offended on a regular basis. They carry resentment. They, they have grudges against their spouse or their kids or, or other people in their life or whatever it might be, Father, those little things get under their skin. God, I pray that you would help us right now in this place. Help these people that, that feel that within them that are saying, yes, God, that is me. That's me in this place today. God, would you help them to let those things go, to allow offense and the spirit of offense to be dropped off of them in the name of Jesus so that they can live in joy, God, so that they can live in happiness, so that they can live in freedom, Lord, being malleable, being flexible, God, allowing you to shape their hearts into something beautiful, not to be hardened, God, not to be caught up in the sin, in the trap of offense that Satan wants to keep us in. So we speak against this trap in the name of Jesus in our families. Right now, Father, we speak against this in our church. 
We speak against this in the name of Jesus, and we declare that this will be a place of unity. We will not be caught in the trap of offense, but we will live in a place together where we are unified, Father, under one mission, under one goal, and that is to see many people saved by the power of Jesus, for us to become even better disciples, God, for us to grow in friendships and relationships with one another. God, I pray you would not let the spirit of offense to come into these relationships and to tear people apart. Help us as a church as we become family to become not a, a, a dysfunctional family, Father. We're gonna have some problems, Lord, I know, but help us to always forgive, to see the best in each other. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would just wash over each of these people right now.